good to be here in the house of the Lord. Hey, we had a special, special birthday take place last night. And uh, it was my grandfather's 75th birthday. 75 years young. Amen. You know, I have to apologize, Grandpa, because I had a card that I wanted to give to you. And uh, I didn't get it to you because, um, one, they didn't make the card that I wanted to give you because I made it myself. And I didn't have the paper to make my own card. So I'm just going to say it to you, all right? If everyone can participate today, can we just give him a hip hooray? Oh, no, no, I said hip hooray. We got to save the other hip for later. He might need it. I love you, Grandpa. Don't, don't, don't resist coming back and helping me out with some things over here now, all right? Hey, I told you earlier, your pastor's not here. I got a new headset, so I might be, I might be a little crazy today. I might be jumping out in the audience. I don't know. Hey, there's a, there's a story of a pastor a long time ago, um, a huge church now, mega church, has millions of, or not millions, but has a, hundreds of campuses all over the globe globe and uh, his beginning days as a pastor he used to meet at this library and at the library they had these ropes for some reason hanging out all over the place and there was like five people coming to his church praise god we have a little bit more than five people in here but there's about five people coming in his church and he was like how the heck do i get more people to come and uh it didn't dawn on him like preach the word of God with power. So he just jumps out and starts swinging on these ropes and people start coming in by the flocks because they heard this pastor swings all over the place. So might have to put some ropes in here and get more people. Hey, we're growing. We're growing. We're growing. We're growing. Every week it feels like we're we're filling up the seats we have here and uh, we have um, some overflow seats in the back. So we're expecting, expecting. That's the key expecting people to come. We're going to be uh, seeing a lot more new faces here this year. We're leaving it in Jesus' name. You believe that with me? Hey, who has been with us for the past three weeks? Let me see your hands. We've been in a series called Mind Renovation, Life Transformation. Who's been blessed by that series? It's been good. We're talking about Demo Day last week, and this week the Lord instructed us to continue Demo Day Week number two, so it should be demo day, day two. This is a demo day. But we are, uh, we're continuing demo day. And I believe there's some things that the Lord's going to reveal to us today. Um, if I'm going to be honest with you, there's some things that are in my message today that I'm still trying to have a full grasp of. And I'm believing today that we're all going to have a full revelation of what the Lord wants to say to us today. Amen? Who can believe that with me? It's going to be a good service, and we're going to talk about something very important. And I, I really believe it'll be life-changing for those who, who receive it, who those who re- receive it and, and uh, take it as theirs. Because this word, although it's being scattered as a seed is being scattered, it's going into individual hearts. And so you've got to take this word as your word. Don't take it as the word you heard in a, in a room full of people. Take it as your word, and it'll produce fruit in Jesus' name. So we started off in Romans chapter 12. That's where we've, we've really been hanging out in for the past three weeks. And it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's the least you can do. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. You guys remember what that kind of means? What conformed means, what it's talking about? It's talking about putting something on the outside that's not reflecting what's on the inside. Putting things on, on, on the surface level to make yourself look like somebody you're really not on the inside. You know, in the world, we call that fake it till you make it. We call it fake it till you make it. Oh, just pretend to smile and you'll be happy. Pretend to be in a good mood and you'll be happy. You know what? Just be in a good mood. How about that? Be in a good mood on the inside and you'll be happy on the outside. That's real transformation right there. 
You have to decide in your mind beforehand before it comes out on the outside. You got to decide who you're going to be on the inside before it comes out on the outside. You know, there's a lot of times where we, we try to be somebody we're not on the outside by what we do. But we're forgetting. God made us as human beings, not human doings. And so when we try to do certain things to be a certain person, we've got it reversed. God created us to be a certain person. And out of that being, all of our works will demonstrate. Everything that we do will reflect who we actually are, not the opposite way. And so we have to understand this whole mind renewal, renewing the mind and what that looks like. And, and we've been kind of dissecting that the past three weeks of what, what it really looks like to renew your mind, to be transformed, a complete inside-out transformation, something that you, want, you weren't before and now you are because something on the inside of you sprouted. And what that is, it's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God living on the inside of you, it's, it's sprouting. It's becoming alive and it's demonstrated through the outward part of you. And this is, that's the whole point of, of renewing your mind is so you can prove God's will. You can demonstrate God through your life to everybody. You can show people the love of God. You can show people what God wants for their lives. You can show people what it looks like to live an abundant life. And it comes through mind renovation. Mind renovation. And through that renovation, it's going to take some heavy lifting. It's going to take some demo work. You know, the scripture says for us to be diligent to enter into this rest. Enter into rest. To labor to rest is what it's referring to. And it's kind of contradicting. How do you labor into rest? How do you do that? Well, in the physical physical illustration, it's when you're working really hard, you're getting a lot of stuff done, and you finally get to go home, get home and relax. Ever feel accomplished when you get home, kick your shoes off, and just relax knowing you've done a lot of good stuff today? Yep. It's a good feeling, huh? Well, in the spiritual aspect, that's the exact same way of laboring to rest, except it's not done through works. It's not done through, through deeds and through doing good stuff all day. You know what laboring to rest is? Renewing your mind to God's word and resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You get into this book, and let me tell you, it's going to be a lot of hard work. Getting into this book, changing the way you think, changing your whole mindset, your whole outlook on life, getting, uh, getting uh, rid of stinking thinking and putting God thinking in your mind, that's a lot of work. Hard work, because we have this old nature that we were so used to before we were born again, there's that in our mind, we still think we still have those tendencies. We still think that we have that sin nature. We still think we have those old natures, but really God said we're a new creation. For a new creation, old things passed away, so that old nature's not a part of us, just some tendencies are still in our mind. And we look back at the Israelites. The Israelites were freed from captivity, they were taken out of Egypt, and they were heading to the promised land. But all throughout their journey, they had nothing but slavery mentalities. They had nothing but these old mindsets from where they used to be. They're taking it to where they're going to, and it simply can't work. And you see the consequence. God said, you can't enter the promised land. You can't go to where I'm taking you because you still have this mindset. You're still complaining. You still think that you're, that you're a slave. And because of this, they couldn't enter the promised land. And there's so many of us today that are free. We're free people. We are free. Yet we're still in bondage by the way we think. And so we're in demo day, week two. Last week we were dealing with being honest with yourself. You got to be honest. Where are you right now? God can't deal with you if you're fake. God can't work on you if you're not true. You got to be honest. You can't present yourself to God and say, Lord, here's my faith. I am, I'm ready to move mountains, but you're not. God can't work with that because you're not being honest. You got to evaluate yourself. Where am I, Lord? Where am I right now and how can I get to the next level? How can I get to where you called me to be? But you can't have that conversation if you're pretending to be someone you're not. 
You got to be honest. And Jesus, he deals with this and he calls this hypocrisy in Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed tombs. You're, you appear beautifully on the outward, but inside you're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. And it's called hypocrisy. Something on the outside that's not reflecting what's on the inside. And you know, even in the, in the faith movement, you see a lot of this. A lot of people claiming that they have this mighty faith, but they're struggling with a lot of doubt. And they're not honest about it. And because of it, they're not seeing victories and they're not seeing these things come to pass. And when they don't have these victories, people ask them, well, I thought you had faith. And they say, well, I did, but God had other plans. Yeah. It's hurting a lot of people because they're not being honest. You know, a lot of people ask me, if, if, if all this faith talk is, is true, what you talk about, and speaking to your mouth and believing it and receiving it, how come my, my father, who was a man of faith, who, who was a, a preacher of the word, who believed all that he could, how come he died early? How come he died of this sickness if, he, if faith, he had all the faith that he needed? And my response to them is always, you don't know their heart. You don't know what was inside of them. You don't know if late at night they sat in bed saying, there's no way this can be healed. There's no way I can be free from this. You have no clue what they were thinking in their darkest hour. And on the outside, it looked like they had faith. On the outside, it looked like they had everything they needed. But on the inside, there was something still they were wrestling with. And we don't get to see that part of people. God does. That's why you got to be honest. You got to be honest with the Lord, honest with yourself, because it will mislead a lot of people into living a very, very hurtful life. <clears throat> Last week we ended in John. In fact, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 8, number 33, verse number 33. John chapter 8, verse 33. You can take it off the screen for now. John chapter 8, verse 33. I'm going to read John 8, 31. John 8, 31. Don't turn there. Just keep yourself there at 8, 33. In John 8, 31, it says, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Someone say, I'm free. If you know the truth, you are free. But we have this misunderstanding that hearing the truth makes you free, but it doesn't. Knowing the truth is what makes you free. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of people who hear the truth. A lot of people who, who hear the truth of the word of God, but yet they're not free. A lot of people hear this message I'm preaching, but yet they're still in bondage. A lot of people that, that are, are, are going to church every single week, yet they're still struggling. Do you want to know why all those things are happening? Because they don't know the truth. They heard it. They don't know it. And knowing is an intimate knowledge. It's an intimate revelation of God's word. It's, 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 it's like a, a husband knows its wife. Intimate. You know everything about each other. Hearing the truth is not knowing the truth. You got to know it. You got to know that you know that you know it. And how do you know it? By planting it into your heart, putting it inside of you, knowing it like the back of your hand. You have to know the scriptures. And Joshua, it says that when Moses died, Joshua was the next leader. And God said, if you meditate on this word day and night, day and night, then I'll make your way prosperous. No, I'm sorry. He said, then you will make your way prosperous. Not God. You will through the word of God. Meditating, it, uh, meditating on the word day and night is the same place inside of us where we worry. If you're worrying about something, guess what you're not doing? You're not meditating on the word. You're meditating on something else. In, this is where people, this is where we get the term like premeditated, premeditated murder. 
you meditated on it. You, you were thinking about it. You were planning it in your heart. You, you were improvising in your mind. You were, you were making escape plans in your head. You, you were worst case scenario, best case scenario. It was in your mind, constant meditation. I'm not talking about sitting with your legs crossed and going home. That's not what I'm talking about. Meditating it, thinking about it all the time, having the word in the forefront of your mind. I love talking to Mary because whenever I talk to her, she always says, oh, there's a scripture for that. Oh yeah, there's a scripture for that too. Oh, there's a scripture for this too. There's always a scripture to what we're talking about because it's in the forefront of her mind. You've got to place it almost to where you're, you're, you're living your life like this, always, every day, not just on Sundays, not just when you're feeling low, not just when you, you feel like you need a little pep talk from the Lord. No, you've got to put this in your mind every single day. Every day. But Matthew, I have work. I have my eight to five job. How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to put the word of God in front of my mind, in front of my, my, my head, in front of my thoughts? How am I supposed to get the word in my, in my sight if I have other things to do? sounds like you have priority mistakes. sounds like you have a little confusion in what really comes first. You see, there's a lot of times where we ask God for a blessing, and God blesses us, and from that blessing, we forsake him, and we make that blessing the priority. We make that blessing all or nothing. We put that blessing in front of everything else, and then, oh, oh yeah, God, hey, thanks, thanks. I'll talk to you in a little bit when I need something else, right? We misuse the blessing. We, we, we abuse the blessing, and we forget the blesser. So how do we put the word of God in front of our minds when we're distracted with all these things? You have to put a priority on it. If that means waking up at 6 a.m. because you have to go to work at 8, wake up at 6 and get in the word. Put that in your mind. If you work a job that you're allowed to have headphones on, put the word on in your, in your ears. Get the word going through, through an audio podcast. Shout out to our Deep Rooted podcast. <laughs> Get the word in your heart. There's no excuse to not having the word in your heart. There's only an excuse if you, if you make one, right? Really, that's all that there is. People who want to change their habits, people who want to change their lifestyle. You know, the, the only excuse that you have for not changing your lifestyle is because you just don't want to. You, you can change it. You can go to the gym five days a week and work out, but I mean, it, when you don't do it, it's because you, you really don't want to. That's the only excuse. If you really wanted to do it, you would do it. People who always make mistakes in relationships and, I'm sorry, I, I want to change. I want to change. I want to be better. Do you? Because if you did, you would change. And I find it funny that really change doesn't happen in marriage until that divorce paper comes in. Until you see that divorce paper and you see, oh, this is serious. I got to do something now. Then what happens? People, they put on this good behavior. They, they read the Bible more. They post on their Instagram stories. Oh, Jesus loves you. And they do all these good things to attract the person back to them. Well, look, I'm a good person. But then guess what happens when that person comes back? They go back. Square one. Do you want to know why all these things are happening? Because there's some stuff inside of them that they got to demo out. There are some things inside of them that they got to replace. So that's what we're doing today. So we just read that. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. And earlier, the, the whole chapter really is Jesus and the Pharisees and people talking about truth. Truth. What is truth? And Jesus says, you don't know my father. If you knew my father, if you knew me, you would know my father. And he says, well, who's your daddy? Who's this guy? They don't, what are you talking about, Jesus? And he says, well, I'm going to go with the father. And he says, you're going to kill yourself? They're not getting it. They're not getting what Jesus is talking about. And, and this whole time, he just wants them to grasp, I am truth. My word is truth. My father is truth. Everything that I do is truth, but they're not getting it. And he says, he simplifies it. He says, if you are in my word, then you will know the truth. 
If you're in my word, then you will discover the truth and it'll set you free. And so we're continuing now here in verse 33. Matthew or John chapter 8, 33. And he says, then they answered him and they said, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? We're Abraham's children, Jesus. We have never been slaves. How can you say we're, we're free if we've already been free? You see, a lot of Americans think that way. Just because you're born in America, it don't make you a Christian. And even though we're born in this land of the free country, there are some people who are not free. I'm not talking about politically. I'm not talking about economically. You're not free in your soul. You're not free. There are some things that are holding you down. Yeah, you may live in a country where you have rights. You can do whatever you want. You can live this American dream. But are you free? There's a lot of people sitting in the church. Not this church because we're blessed. We're highly favored. There's a lot of people in the church who aren't free. They're in bondage. But I go to church. I hear the truth. I'm free. No. Do you know the truth? And so these people, they're trying to wrap their minds around it. And they said, we're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be made free? And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free... You, are, you, you shall be free indeed. Because I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you still seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. And they answered and said, Abraham is our father. But then here comes Jesus and he says this, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, but you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. They said, well, we are not, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus says this, if you were God's father, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come from myself, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? You see, I can kind of hear the frustration. I can kind of hear this, this agitation in his tone of voice of, why don't you understand what I'm saying, kids? You're not of, you're not of God because my word is not in you. This truth that I'm speaking is not in you. Therefore, I don't care who your daddy is. He's not your daddy. He says, why don't you get my speech? He says, because, and he answers his own question. Why don't you understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. Woo! Imagine if somebody told you that. Man. And what's the reason why he said this? Because they weren't receiving his word, his truth. I'll come back to that. It says, you have your father, the devil... And you desire, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Be, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. You are not of God. Here's what I find in most cases. When you hear the truth, when the truth is presented to you, one of two things is going to happen. One of two things. You're going to receive it with joy or you'll be offended. Ooh, offense. 
Today I'm going to talk about offenses. Today I'm going to talk about these things that, man, they hinder the church. Anybody ever heard the term church hurt? The church hurt me. Oh, the church did me wrong. In a short sense, I'm going to tell you to get over it. But in a long sense, I'm going to preach you the word. Because church hurt is nothing but offense. You've been offended. And to, to an exception, there are churches that hurt people. There are churches that misuse people. There are churches that wrongly, wrongly do things to people. There are churches that do that. But for the most part, most people who are church hurt are just offended. They're offended because they heard something they didn't like. And, and they don't want anything to do with that church anymore. And most of the time, it's because they heard the truth. So Jesus is telling these people, he says, man, you, your father is the devil. You're the devil's child, son. And he says it's because they did not hear his word. They didn't hear the truth. Now, what if I went and told you the truth, the hard truth, and we were having a conversation and you're telling me your situation and I was giving you the truth and you said, ah, I just don't think that's the right decision. I just don't think that's what the Lord's actually saying. And I, I said, well, yeah, of course you're not hearing that because you're of the devil. What would you do? How would you respond? The truth is offensive sometimes, but you have two options. Receive it and get better or be offended and grow with hatred. That's what these people were doing. They were growing in hatred every time they would hear the truth. The, the, more, the more Jesus spoke the truth, the more they plotted to kill them, him. The more they wanted to, to murder him. The, they, they were just so fixated on murdering this guy every time he spoke the truth. The truth will bring one of two emotions up in your heart. Offense or joy. You know, and he goes on to say, Jesus said that you have your father, the devil, and uh, the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. You know why I was talking to you guys last week about being honest? being honest with yourself, being honest with the Lord. Because if you're quick to receive a lie, you'll be quick to tell a lie. If you're quick to receive a lie from the devil, you'll be quick to tell a lie. This is why the truth is so important to put in your heart. Because the devil, all he wants is for you to receive lies. He wants you to receive them and believe them. He wants to put these things in your mind, telling you these things about yourself that, that aren't true. He wants you to get to a place where you don't even believe in yourself anymore. You don't even believe that you can, you can come back to a place of, of, of restoration. He wants to put these thoughts in your mind. And once he has you there, then, then you'll be quick to start sharing these thoughts with other people. You'll be quick to start sharing lies to others because you receive them so quickly. But just like how there is absolutely nothing true in the devil, there is nothing false in God. Nothing false. And you see, the world's agenda is just filled with the lies of the devil, the lies of the enemy. And you know why I say that? The reason why I say this is because the world has no truth of the word in it. There's no truth of the word of God in the world. And if there's no truth, Jesus says, if they're not receiving his word, it's because they're of the devil. This is why I attack the world so much. Because there's no truth in the world. But the world's agenda is to push these lies that they're disguising as truth in, your, in our minds. Every day. Every day. And if you're careful, if you're watchful, you'll see them. If you're, if you're quick enough, you will see what's true and what's a lie. If you're in the word of God, which is true, you'll be so quick to discern what's a lie. And people think we're crazy because we're, 
saying these crazy things about the government and about what they're trying to do to us and all these things. And you, you guys are crazy. You Christians, you. But the truth is, we're in the word. So we can tell the lie apart from people who aren't in the word. Because for them, it's, it's as true as true can get because they haven't studied the truth. I mentioned last week that people don't study counterfeit money. They don't, they don't study what counterfeit money looks like. They study the real thing. And because they study the real thing and they know what it looks like, anything else that comes across their way that isn't real, they can distinguish it from the true because they know the truth. They know what it really looks like. We don't study the false things. We don't, we don't look at things that, are, that aren't true to, to find out what's true. We study what's true. I know a lot of pastors who, they educate themselves in so many different doctrines and so many different things. They study the, the Torah, or not the Torah, they, they study the Quran. They study all these Buddhist things and all these Muslim things and all these Mormon things and all these Sikh things and Jehovah Witness things. They study all of these things so that they can have a good defense of why Christianity is the truth. You don't got to do that. Just study the truth. That's it. Anything else is counterfeit. There's, sometimes there's people who like to post about books of the Bible that aren't in the Bible. And they like to quote things from them. And it's like, well, this person who wrote in the Bible that was taken out from the Bible said this. If it ain't in my Bible, it's not in the Bible. I'm sorry. I don't care what they said. It's not in the Bible. So it's not true. I just heard all the, t- all the um, televisions of, of theologians turn off right now. I'm not against that. Theology, the study of God. Theo, God, ology, study. I'm not against that. I study God. But the way I do it is different. I don't rely on all these books and thick books. and It's not how I do it. I just study the word, the truth. And it's gotten me pretty far in a short amount of time. So I'm going to keep doing it until it prevails, which it won't. But you got to have the truth. Going back to what I was saying, though, when you're confronted with the truth, or correction, if you want to say it that way, you have a decision. Be offended or receive it with joy. That's the only option. Receive it with joy or be offended. You can't receive it with bitterness. It won't do anything. You can't receive it with resentment. It won't profit you anything. It'd be better for you to be offended. That way you're operating in a true emotion and you're not hiding something else. But the best is to receive it in joy. Going back to a renovation. You remodel a home. You go through demo day. Let's say we, we took apart a house and we built it and we're doing demo day and we, we took out some, some shelves and we replaced some beams and we did all these things and we tore up the kitchen and, and it was all a mess, right? But then someone came along and said, ah, I just don't think we should do this. We don't, we shouldn't, let's just stop. Let's just stop right here. And never came back to it. That house would be worthless. That house would serve zero purpose because it's incomplete. It doesn't matter if you don't like the correction you're receiving. It doesn't matter if there's some things, if you're, if you're trying to change and, and all of a sudden you come across something that you don't like and you don't want to change, guess what's going to happen? If you don't change that, you'll be incomplete, useless. You've got to complete the process. If you're going to start the process, you've got to complete it. That's called being faithful faithful and in that process there's going to be corrections there's going to be little little things that are going to tell you to go different ways there's going to be little minor corrections maybe major corrections but correction is good it is good and hebrews tells us in in one chapter that if if you don't receive correction from the lord it's because you're not of him if you don't receive his correction it's because you're not his 
his child. Because a father corrects his children. A good father corrects his children. And so if we're not correcting ourselves, if we're not receiving this correction and we're offended and we just leave and we don't want to address it anymore, we're going to be incomplete. We're not going to complete the, the renovation. You started it, but you have to complete the correction. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the scripture says that for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God does all of those things. It is quick, it is alive, it is powerful. The word sharper there in, in, in verse 12, sharper than any two-edged sword, is the Greek word tomoteros. Yeah, I wrote my R right there. <laughs> and it means to cut as if by a single stroke. Who remembers the game on your phone, Fruit Ninja? <laughs> you remember that game? I used to love that game. No one could beat my high score. But what was the concept of the game? All these fruits would be flying up and you would swipe them and chop them, right? Well, then I quickly discovered that people were making real life versions of this on YouTube. And they would get these really sharp like cantana swords and start slicing all this fruit. And man, those swords were so sharp. It would slice in one stroke. And that's the word that is, that is being defined here. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Any two-edged sword, it is so sharp, meaning that this word, the word of God, can pierce through the hardest heart that there is. You think your heart is too hard? You think that you've been through, through way too much? You think that there's too much damage in your heart? God's word can pierce through it. That's how sharp it is. And it's a double-edged sword, Meaning it doesn't just have one side to it. It's on both sides, not just one. It's not a double-ended sword like Darth Maul. That's what I used to think it was. It's a double-edged sword, meaning it's powerful on both sides. Powerful. You know, there is some great stuff in the Old Testament that we can still learn from. And there's greater things in the New Testament that we can learn from. It's a double-edged sword. And no matter what our current life circumstances, the word of God always can pierce through our hearts, correcting what we need to correct. Notice it says that it, is a, it divides the soul and the spirit. The soul and the spirit is it, it what makes up the heart, the heart of a person, the soul and the spirit. The, the spirit part of us is what, and, and it has all of God inside of us. It has the power of him, it has his healing power, it has his wisdom. Everything of God is in our spirit and our soul is the emotion part. We've talked about this, right? Remember? It's like a faucet. You open your faucet, you open up your soul, your mind, and the spirit of God will flow through it and enter into your body, into your physical realm. Well, if your soul, if your soul is unrenewed, the spirit can't do nothing. Can't do anything. If your soul is closed off, if your mind is not renewed, the spirit of God cannot flow through into your physical realm. So your soul and your, and your spirit, they operate as one. That's why you need your soul to be in line with God's word. Amen. You need them to be in tune with each other. Your heart needs to be open to the things of the Lord. That's how you get the Spirit of God to flow through. That's how you get God's Word to become effective. Because your mind is in tune with the Spirit. Your mind is one with the Spirit. Let me just warn you. When you're in the Word of God, it's going to demo some things out. How will you respond? In Hebrews chapter 4, the same scripture in the message translation, this is what it says. It says, God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp 
as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open up, uh, laying us open to listen and obey. Mm. It's a weapon, the word of God is. King James calls it active. It is a, a sword. It's a weapon. And the message says that it cuts through any doubt or defense. It cuts through doubt and defense. Who's ever been corrected by somebody and immediately following that correction shoots up a wall of defense? Arguing back why you're, you're, you shouldn't be corrected. Arguing back why you're in the right. Right? Anybody? What happens? Defense shoots up. You get attacked, defense. It's a natural thing. It's just how our body is, or our mind wants to work. It's somebody's coming against me. No way. I'm putting up a wall. And we put up these walls of defense because we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be corrected. We don't want to be confronted. But the word of God, it pierces through doubt or defense. It pierces through those things. In 2 Corinthians, turn there, chapter 10. Quickly, quickly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the scripture says, in verse 3, Paul writes, For I, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down, someone say strongholds. strongholds. They're mighty in pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing everything, every thought, into captivity, to obedience of Christ. Man, we just read earlier in Hebrews that the word of God is a sword. It is referred to as a sword, a weapon. And Paul writes here, we don't fight with carnal, with natural weapons, but spiritual weapons. I want to give you one more scripture. Scripture says in, uh, let me see, in Ephesians chapter 6, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. Our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. We're piecing it together, right? What's our weapon? The word. The word of God. The word of God is our, is our spiritual weapon, is our sword. And what does our spiritual weapon do? It pulls down strongholds. Pulls down strongholds in every argument. King James Version says every imagination. Every imagination. It pulls down strongholds. Matthew, what's a stronghold? A stronghold is anything. Let me give you the, the correct definition. This is taken from the Strong's definition of, of the Greek translation of stronghold. A castle, a stronghold, a fortress. And here's the long-term definition. Of the arguments and reasonings by which a disputant endeavors to fortify his opinion and defend it against his opponent. That is a stronghold. We've taken this scripture and we've completely ruined it by saying that our strongholds are spiritual demonic things <laughs> nope strongholds are defense mechanisms you're putting up in your mind that's a stronghold nothing to do with the devil you know we think that we have to what we're fighting these spiritual battles and we got to pray and and hope that god hears our prayers we sometimes we pray and, and hope our, our prayers hit the ceiling or go past the ceiling right and we think that we have to pray in these high prayers and and you know there's these people who actually go in airplanes because they think that god hears our prayers past the earth's atmosphere and so they go in these planes and have these spiritual prayer meetings to hopefully god can hear their prayers it's ridiculous your prayers don't have to go above your nose why? Because God lives right here. 
God dwells in us. That's why we do this when we pray. Thank you, Lord. We're talking to ourselves. I'm going to give you some scriptures right here. John chapter 7 says this. He that believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow the rivers of living water. Proverbs 20, verse 27. The spirit of a man, it's not up there. The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. The spirit of God dwells in our belly. That's why we do this. Thank you, Lord. Some of us look like we have more of the spirit of God than others, but hey, it's all good. God lives in us. Spiritual warfare is not out in the cosmos. It's not out in the atmosphere. Guess where it is at? In between your ears. That's spiritual warfare. And if we use this scripture correctly, it says that the word of God, it pulls down those strongholds, those arguments we put up in our minds. There's so many people that I've talked to who they argue with me about faith. They argue with me about grace. They argue with me about what I'm preaching because they've been hurt in the past. They've been, they've been offended at some point in their life. Well, I've tried that faith life and it didn't get me anywhere, so I don't believe in that anymore. You're wrong. It can't be that way, Matt. It's wrong. I'm older than you. How do you have more faith than I do? You're only a 20-year-old. How do you have this faith? Strongholds. Strongholds. And not only do you have the power to cast down strongholds in your own life, you have the power to cast down strongholds in other people's lives by telling them the truth. This is what Jesus did. His whole ministry was telling people the truth, was giving them strongholds or uh, casting down strongholds, pulling down these strongholds. He would offer them the truth and they had to decide if I'm going to receive it or if I'm going to be offended. They had to decide that. And it says, I love this part, that we have to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I think about this in, in, in a war setting. When you would capture the other, the enemy, when you would capture the enemy, you would bring them to the captain or to whoever was leading the squad or leading your side. And then guess what you would do? Walk away and let the captain do what they want with that person. Just like that, that's what we do with our, with our thoughts. You see, you can't, you can't stop thoughts from entering your mind, but guess what you can do? You can stop them from conceiving in your spirit and conceiving in your heart. Um, Kenneth Hagin once said that you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. You can't stop it from coming. But when it does come, you get to decide what to do with it. And just like how someone takes an enemy of war to the captain or to the leader, that's what you do with your thoughts. The enemy throws a thought in your mind. This is what you do. You say, nope, that's not from the Lord. Here you go, Jesus. Do what you will, and I'm going to enjoy the rest of my day. And God gets to do what he wants to do with it. It's not yours to worry about. You bring it to him. You bring it to the feet of Christ. You say, Jesus, this is not from you. This is from the devil. You punish him again. You do this. It's not my thought to worry about anymore. The devil tries to get you with discouragement, tell you you're no good for nothing, that you, you're a lazy sack of potatoes. He's trying to discourage you. You bring that thought under the obedience of Christ and you let him do what he wills with it. Amen? The worship team can come up now, if you will, as I'm concluding. But the word of God is what our weapon is to cast down those strongholds, to cast down those thoughts, those defense mechanisms that we've been holding on to for so long as to why we are right, why we're not the ones in the wrong. You need that correction. 
Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. This is sower seed, and, and we've talked about this for a while, or a couple of times. In Mark chapter 4, verse 3, Jesus says, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed. Some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of the earth. But when the sun was up, it scorched, and it, because it had no root, it withered away. Some seed fell on among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on the good ground, and it yielded a crop and sprang up and increased and produced some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. He goes on to say this is the, the seed is the word of God, and, and the ground is, is the heart, the heart. There's four different types of hearts that the word of God gets sown into. Four different types, and that's what he was referring to here. In verse 13, he says, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear it, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Likewise, these are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately they receive it with gladness but they have no root in themselves so they endure only for a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake immediately they stumble that word stumble is translated offended offended says now these are those who are sown among the thorns they hear the word and the care of this world deceitfulness of riches and desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful but these are the ones who are sown on stony on good ground they hear the word they accept it and they bear fruit some 30 some 60 and some a hundredfold someone say i am good ground you're a good ground but here's what's happening the stony ground when tribulation and persecution arose for the word's sake, not for your sake, the enemy don't care about you. He cares about the word that was sown. He doesn't want it there. When it arises for, for tribulation and persecution arises. You know, we think about tribulation and affliction and, and we associate it with sickness, with poverty, with with suffering from the enemy. But I want to open your heart to something else. I believe the Lord is opening this to us right now. Tribulation and affliction from the enemy will often resemble the same feeling in our hearts when we hear the truth that we don't want to hear. That same feeling we get when we're under tribulation and we're under persecution is the same feeling we get when someone's correcting us. We put up these walls. We get offended. We fall away. We get stumbled. And it's the same, the same type of feeling in the King James Version of, the, of, of this scripture. It says, afterwards, when affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake affliction in Hebrews chapter 12 it says that no no chastening for present for the present seems to be joyous but grievous that word grievous is the same word of sorrow in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul says I consider it necessary to send you to Aphrodite as my brother, fellow worker, and my soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to me, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrows upon sorrows. That word sorrow is the same word that we see grievous in Hebrews, that chastening isn't joyful, it's grievous. And which is still 
the same root, we get affliction, grievous, sorrowful. When the enemy afflicts us, what does he want to attach to it? Sorrow, grievous. When we hear the truth, what happens? What tends to rise up inside of us? Sorrow, grievous. We don't like it. We don't like that process of being under construction. But I do believe that in this time of correction, in this time of, of, of correcting what's inside, of demoing things out that don't belong in and putting what needs to be inside of us, and during this process, although it might seem like grievous times, although it might feel like affliction, although it might feel like someone's persecuting you, although all that might be a real feeling, guess what you can still do in this circumstance? You can receive it with joy. In James chapter 1, verse 19, the scripture says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of the wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But here is the key. Be doers and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word not hearers only. Next verse says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work this one will be blessed in what they do. Being a hearer of the word and a doer, you'll be blessed. Blessed. And you'll be receiving correction from the Lord during this process of demoing. You'll be receiving this correction and the Lord's showing you his word of what to do. And are you going to just hear it? Or will you do it? Will you do what the Lord says if you continue in it, he says. And you know, this circles back to John chapter 8 where Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciple and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Anybody want to be free this morning? Am I looking at a bunch of free people in this place this morning? If you are free, come on, somebody shout amen. Somebody give the Lord some praise. If you believe that you are free in Jesus' name, Jesus said it, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? We got to be doers of the word. We've got to be doers of the word. We can't just be hearers of the word. It's just like renovating a home and then leaving it to the scraps. It's going to be useless, worthless. Continue it finish it. Renew your mind. This process of demoing always comes out beautiful. Always. It's a transformation, a mind renovation, a life transformation. If you believe it this morning, somebody say amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Oh, Lord, we love you this morning. God, we thank you for the word you've given us. God, we thank you for making us free people, Lord. Father, we just thank you. We glorify you this morning. We thank you for your word, the word that changes our lives. It, it transforms who we are from the inside out. And Father, I'm believing every person in this room, every person listening to this message, that if they are doers of your word, not just hearers only, like your word says, that they will be blessed in everything they do because your word always produces fruit. It always comes back a hundredfold. It always comes back with more than enough. It never comes back void. It never comes back with lack. It never comes back rotten. It always comes back with a, a bountiful harvest because your word is 
true. Father, we love you. We thank you for the word spoken over us this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, Father, for the blessings, Lord. You are such a good God. We receive all that you have for us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, well, we love you guys. We're so glad you joined us today. Come back next week. We're still going to be in mind renovation, life transformation. You're not going to want to miss it. And uh, if you have any prayer requests, if you have any prayer needs, uh, we'll have some people um, here uh, at the end of service to pray for you. They'll be at the front over here. If you need prayer at all, go see them. They are great ministers of the Lord. And uh, it's going to be a good time if you need anything. Healing, restoration, if you're praying for a miracle, these are the people to pray with in Jesus' name. Hey, before you guys go, let me bless you. I call you prosperous in the name of Jesus. I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Whatever you set your hand to do will prosper in Jesus' name. I pray you have a blessed week. I pray that you have favor in the Lord and favor with men in all that you do. And continue living in the victory. And remember, you are always welcome here in our family of faith. We love you. We'll see you guys again next week.